1: Welcome everyone to another edition of the IB Nation Sports Talk Show. I'm Vince Dario. That guy right there is Jesse Styers. It's a it, you know, we're always on the show. He or you know, myself or Jesse. But now we're going together and we're gonna have some fun with this thing. Sean is off doing play-by-play for the Notre Dame women's basketball team. I do believe, and I should have looked this up prior to making this statement, but I do believe this is their opener, their official opener, right? Because they had an exhibition game the other day, which of course they dominated because that's what exhibition games are all about. (laughs) But they've got Northern Illinois tonight at home at seven o'clock. So we'll try to get you guys out of here in case you want to go, you know, listen to the dulcet tones of Sean (laughs) Styers on uh, the Sirius XM network of radio stations or... Wherever you get your women's basketball. So uh, I'm sure Sean would love to have you guys come over and listen to him because, and I am not biased in any way, shape, or form. Sean Styers is one hell of a play by play guy. And he's so good, he doesn't even need a color analyst. I don't know if he's going to have a color person or not, <laughs> but uh, he can definitely do the show on his own. So go check him out. He's one heck of a play by play guy. But in his stead, I have Styles Jr., and I got myself, and we are going to start. But well, we're going to talk Clemson, obviously. We're going to talk about the Notre Dame-Clemson game. Huge game, Jess. I mean, frankly, we did a three-hour post-game show about <laughs> it uh, in the wee hours of Sunday morning. And so there was a lot to talk about, a lot to be excited about. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the direction where we think Clemson is headed. We're going to talk about the direction where we think Notre Dame is headed. We're going to talk about the Marcus Freeman press conference. Some interesting stuff happened from that. And, of course, the best part of the show we will wrap up with rapid fire. So Jess, first of all, how you doing today, my friend?
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
3: I'm doing good. I think I'm still a little delusional from the the wee hours that we were up until (laughs) uh, on Sunday morning and... It was kind of crazy because the time change hit us while we were going. I was like, wow. I, I remember I looked down and I was like, am I losing it? Oh, wait, it, it's time change. Seriously. Uh, and so I, I definitely got some extra sleep uh, going into Sunday morning. I know you probably didn't because you have a lot more going on than I do. Not as much as I wanted. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was – I've been – overall, today I've been good, you know, smooth day of work. I'm excited to talk about, you know, the, the, the press conference with Marcus Freeman. Uh, you know, kind of some post-game post thoughts now that we've kind of marinated a little bit yeah. even more. So it'll be a nice little, you know, rundown today of just, you know, press conference and how we feel.
1: Yeah, and, and did you have a chance to watch any of the game over again? Uh, you know, since Saturday night, or are you still working fresh from the original?
3: I'm still working fresh from the original. I remember nice. during the game itself, I took, I like tracked every play as it was happening. Nice. So it's still pretty engraved um in there i think that's just kind of like the muscle memory if you write it down you just yep. remember a little bit better so well,
1: that's a good well, i mean here's mine you know i chart to replay <laughs> by series as well because it just helps to you know be able to go back and yeah. notes just, it, it, exactly it's, it's like school man you take notes The things happen right so uh so yeah it, re-watching we did the pawn for the review last night so if anybody didn't catch that make sure you check that out but we, we broke down the film a little bit but going back and watching I just kind of sat back and just watched and enjoyed it, to be honest with you. And it was it was a very enjoyable rewatch for me, uh, as opposed to Marshall, Stanford, <laughs> frankly, any other game that they've had this year. This was a beautiful game to go back and watch because Notre Dame was in control. We talk about uh, game control, that stat that's out there, the game control stat. And we talk about that a lot on Tuesday night when we talk about college football playoff committee and their choices and all that. Notre Dame skyrocketed in the game control category because they control the number four team in the country the entire time, which was a lot of fun to see. All right, Stiers, let's jump into this thing here. We uh, we actually have a rundown. We have notes. We're ready to fire here. So Marcus Freeman had his uh, regular Monday press conference, and uh, you and I both watched it. Let's start with this. What are your takeaways from the Marcus Freeman press conference, Jess?
3: You know, he. I think that uh, some of the most interesting points that he brought up is you know the the beginning and the that his team was challenged this week, and that was like the biggest thing. I think that it was just a challenge, and they they rose to this you know occasion. He loved the physicality of the team um, and and the trust and belief that they kind of had overall. And I thought another thing uh, that he said that was pretty important is that they're always continuously looking to enhance their scheme, you know, based on personnel, based on matchup, which is also, which is a, you know, very refreshing uh, thing, thing to hear from a coach is someone who's constantly kind of, you know, wanting to adapt and, and and get better, you know, never being kind of complacent with where they're at. And I think that's what we've seen a lot of in these last few weeks is just a complacency and not having a complacency and wanting to get better.
1: No, I think that's a really good point. And you know, there's the old adage that if you stay the same, you're, you're getting worse, right? And I think that's kind of what he was hinting at is that you can't, everybody else has the same, he, he actually used the word mindset. He goes, everybody else has the same mindset as us, that you have to keep adapting, you have to keep changing. And if you're not, you're going to get left behind. And he's absolutely right. I mean, that's, you know, if you, if you look at a program like Alabama, for example, back in 2012, when they beat Notre Dame in the national championship game. They were just a pound it, punch you in the face, play really good defense, you know, et cetera. And that's how they win. And Nick Saban was uh, smart enough to realize that college football was changing and he had to change with it if he still wanted to be successful. And he did. They are a shadow of that from what they used to be as far as how they run their offense and how they operate their program because he adapted and he changed and he he's staying ahead of the curve. Notre Dame has to do the same thing. You know, you can't. You can't run the team out from 1988 and expect to win a national championship. That's just not how it works in today's game, right? Now, you could take a lot of those players and adjust and adapt and things of that nature. I'm not saying that. They had amazing players, right? I mean, can you imagine Tim Brown and Rocket Ishmael and all these different guys playing for Notre Dame in the system that they have now? I mean, don't even get me started, <laughs> right. but... You have to be able to adapt, right? And I think that they're they are doing a very good job of that. I think the defense has adapted. They've made it simpler. They're triggering their linebackers. They're doing all of those things. I think the offense is starting to adapt from a personnel standpoint. They're putting guys out on the field that need to be on the field and should be on the field. They've earned the right to be on the field. And you know, they're playing to their strengths as well. So I think they're they're actually doing that. And I think Marcus Freeman has done a good job of and he kind of mentioned this in the press conference of adapting himself and and learning as a head coach and becoming more comfortable because one of the people brought up, uh, which I thought was interesting, you know, demeanor on the sidelines and how that can be overanalyzed. And, you know, people can take that a whole different direction. But he's like, look. Every game I get more comfortable with what I'm saying on the sidelines, you know, talking to the refs, uh, you know, the game day operation, like all of that. He's like, I'm better from game one to now. And he goes, I expect to be better two weeks or three weeks from now than I am right now. And I thought that's that spoke a lot that he's always ever changing and looking to do something better. (laughs)
3: Yeah, and you brought up a good point when he was asked about his demeanor. It, mainly, he summed up as like, what is needed in the moment? What does he need to right. do in the moment? And that's what he's still learning every week is what he needs to do in the moment or what's kind of needed in the moment. And he gave, you know, the examples of when Lorenzo Styles drops the ball and, you know, he goes over to Lorenzo and says, you know, it's okay. Like, just catch the next one. We're fine. You know, it's okay. Right. Uh, or when, when estimate fumbles, he goes to estimate and goes, Hey, we're going to give you the ball again. So just, you know, don't fumble, be ready. So, <laughs> right, you know, just like being learning kind of in the moment on what to say. And I think that's the growth of a head coach. And that's kind of what we expected of the bumps in the road for kind of the first time head coach of Marcus Freeman this season. Well, and, and I think it's
1: the growth of a coach period, right? Not even just right. a head coach, because you have to know your players. And when you're the defensive coordinator, you don't really interact with the offensive players a whole lot. I mean, you're you're it's almost like two separate teams doing their thing and they compete against each other and they do different things, but you don't really get to know the offensive players. And it's funny that the examples that he brought up were with offensive players, right? And how he talks to those offensive players, whether it's Drew Pine, whether it was Audrey Estimé, whatever. It takes time to learn those guys because right. you know, as a coach and as a player, you can talk to certain guys a certain way. You can talk to other guys a certain way, right? There's right. some guys you got to put your arm around them. You got a father Flanagan on them, You got to, you Hey, everything's going to be all right. You're good. Get them a little pat on the tush and be good to go. And there's other guys like I could always scream at you. You know what I mean? Like there's guys, you know, can take it. Right. I knew I could scream at you because I know your dad. Right. right. And I know that he screams at you. And so I know we're good. Right. So there's, you have to know how to address your players and how they're going to be able to respond to that and he's learning all of that stuff. And right. there's also nuances and ways to talk to referees. <laughs> Sometimes you can scream at him. Sometimes you got to put your arm around him and pat him on the butt. You know what I mean? So he's learning all of those things every single game and I, and I think it shows. I think his confidence level as a head coach on game day is showing for sure.
3: Yeah, and like you said that when it came to the referees, he 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 just brought up that if just have conviction and that's what he did. He felt strongly about it in the moment. And that's what he teaches, you know, his players is have conviction with anything that you're going to do. And it was nice to see him have that conviction for his team on the sideline. And now in hindsight, he could go back and he, you know, he said, Oh, I don't think it was targeting. How much of that is like him just saying it, but actually versus, which is true, but still in the moment, (laughs) having the conviction, I think uh, is a good thing. And another another thing that he kind of went into was, you know, the ranking and how what effect that that has on the team. So uh, I'm curious what you think, you know, he, He thought it it builds confidence and it and it it allows the guys to kind of trust and believe in the process and the things
1: uh, that they're doing as a team. Well, and, and success will do that. Right. And I know that he also mentioned at one point that when they weren't having success, when they would lose to Stanford or whatever, like in his quiet moments, he's he's questioning whether things are going right. But you can't be that way in front of your players. You always have to you know, stand ground and, and, and be confident in what you're doing. And I thought that was a, that was a bit of a vulnerable moment for him. You know what I mean? He's like, Hey, yeah. Sometimes you feel like you don't have all the answers, but you can't be like that in front of your players. And I, so I thought that was good. I think he's a very self-reflective person, which I think is very, very good uh, as far as when you're learning to be a head coach, but as far as being ranked and all of that, I agree. I, I think, when you are rewarded for success, when you are rewarded for the process, I think that that goes a long way to appreciating the process and respecting the process, if that makes sense. I have said process like 13 times there. <laughs> but it, it's true. I mean, you think you have the answers, but then when those answers are solidified in a positive way, right, and mm-hmm. they just went out there and dominated the number four team in the country, and you have to be reminded of that sometimes, and then you have to be rewarded with that i'm very i think they ended up 20 in the ap poll which right that's a huge jump obviously and, right. and a lot of things fluctuated around them And, and the big like one that. comes
3: out tomorrow bingo what is
1: that gonna look like I, that's really what i'm interested to see because if they can get into like 19 or the 20 range after this game yeah you get two more I don't want to say gimme games because we've seen what happened earlier, right? I don't right. want to go there.
3: Let's just take care of some business.
1: You have winnable games. They're winnable. I will say that they are winnable games. And then if USC can take care of their business over the next few weeks, yeah. which is not going to be easy because they do have UCLA, I believe uh, in that stretch, they're going to be a top. They're, they're going to be a top five team, top six, top seven, top 10 for sure. Right? Yeah. You're going to have another great opportunity to make some waves.
3: You could nestle yourself in the top 15, 12, potentially, you know, if um, you want to, you never know what's going to happen in those last few weeks up there in the yeah. rankings. And because this there, is the best time to come on strong, you know? Absolutely.
1: Cause Michigan and Ohio state are going to play. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of the, you're not saying that that's going to help Notre Dame right. specifically, because they're going to be above either way, but you're going to have a lot of these teams playing each other and knocking each other off particularly in the big 12 and the Pac 12 you're gonna get a lot of guys playing each other so there's gonna be opportunity for notre dame to rise up if they can take care of their business the way that they should and I, irish high town you took the words right out of my mouth says vince are you saying <laughs> we have a chance at a new year
3: six Bowl? there's a chance there's absolutely there's a, a chance. chance
1: there's a chance they need to win all three. I think that goes without saying. Other right? things
3: have to happen.
1: And and there has to be a little bit of chaos. There absolutely does. Because, and I, I remind people of this all the time, I don't believe any three-loss team has ever made it into the New Year Six games. I don't believe. I'd have to do the research on that to double-check. But at the same time, outside of the top four, outside of the, the college football playoff, the rest of the New Year Six games are about revenue, (laughs) eyeballs, and in the seat. Exactly. And if Notre Dame has a legitimate shot, they're going to get picked because they check all of those boxes. Those those are check pluses. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) So we'll see how things shake out. We're going to have a much better idea of what that looks like after, obviously after they play USC, but then you're going to have conference championships which I think are also going to play a role in where things are ranked because Notre Dame obviously doesn't play on Conference Championship Weekend. They can just sit back and watch the chaos fall and potentially move up even more, right? So, yes, there's a chance. I'm not putting (laughs) money on it, but there's a chance, right? So it, it could be a lot of fun here over the next three weeks if Notre Dame continues to play like they played on Saturday night.
3: I think the best thing about the ranking is the ranking now is uh, what a group of people did and worked very hard for the ranking at the beginning of the season was just a preseason. Nothing was no games were played. And I think that's big for this kind of group is they fell out of the rankings and now they've worked their way to earn the, you know, their way back in the rankings and seeing that kind of reflective. I know it's just a number, but you know, the hard work, the beating of these teams compared to when you had it at the beginning of the season, I think, It's just Mm -hmm. a kind of different ranking. So I think that also um, plays into it. You know, the things that you talked about with Notre Dame potentially getting uh, their their ranking up towards the end of the season, you know, I have some news for some people If things go how they're supposed to USC, North Carolina, and Clemson. Those are three opponents on Notre Dame schedules. That'll be contending for conference championships coming to the end of the season. Uh, You know, so those are things that that'll be very much considered. You know, you can say what you want about the three losses, but, the strength of schedule is definitely up there and that's definitely going to boost them uh if as long as they continue to to take care of uh what they need to and then I think the last couple things that that I wanted to talk about with the Freeman press conference was you know he got into short yardage and perimeter and those were the areas in which obviously Notre Dame kind of dominated to win the game is running the ball short yardage it's picking up the you know the, the the plays when they needed to and then defensively shutting down the perimeter and taking away Clemson's plays, and I'll kind of start with the perimeter here a little bit. What was yeah. what he talked about on the perimeter is when a defense that, that like Golden runs, they run heavy nickel, and that puts them at a disadvantage on the perimeter because you're without a Sam linebacker, someone who's beefy. Uh, and, and you know, it's it puts more pressure on your secondary guys like Morrison, Hart, uh, Joseph that are coming down, smaller guys that have to make tackles, um, in space, and so that's what they're losing kind of you know with with one running the nickel defense and that was the emphasis this week of we need to be physical make mm-hmm. these tackles rallying onto the ball you know it wasn't just a one person tackle yes. it was a three four five person tackle and that was a big because he, he was asked about the emphasis you know on the on the perimeter and that's that's what they were challenged with and I think that they did a great job obviously and he you know he thought the same thing And I think I didn't think about it in that perspective honestly about you know the nickel and kind of the stress that it puts on them. So hearing him talk about that was obviously really nice to see. And then when it came to, you know, the short yardage, they, they, he talked about kind of having to find a wrinkle doing what they do really well, but finding a way to kind of mask it. And that he talked about, you know, going in into motion. And, and then he also talked about, you know, a way to kind of to, that you have success doing that is you control the game. And that's what he, you know, attributed pine so much with was controlling the game, controlling the clock, knowing when to break the huddle, when to, you yeah. know, motion guys, drawing things out, essentially controlling this power game. And that's what they did in those short yardage situations. So just kind of curious to see, you know, what your thoughts are about both of those kind of big areas in which we saw, I think are the, 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 the reason why big reasons why Notre Dame won is they controlled, you know, the perimeter game of Syracuse. And then and that's, I, sorry, I'd failed to mention, you know, shutting down perimeter run as well. They shut down yeah. the pass uh, and then, obviously, you know Notre Dame's dominance in the dominance in the short yarded situations, and you kind of, kind of what they do with the offense.
1: Well, and we talked we touched on both of these last night, actually. And it, you're 100 percent correct, Notre Dame. What they did defensively is they forced the RPO game that Clemson likes to run. They force it into their hands, right? And Clemson was perfectly happy going outside and going to the perimeter because on film, Notre Dame's not real good in space. Right, that's I mean, their it, weakness. They've they've proved that over and over again. I can't. I wish I had a nickel for every time <laughs> people in the chat talked about missed tackles on the program. Oh my gosh, and, the and,
3: tackling against Clemson for where it was against like oh, Marshall. Oh, oh my god, it's like they went through a clinic or something.
1: Yes, no question about it. And the physicality of those guys and the execution of the tackling in space was unbelievable, and it was a clear point of emphasis. What you know. I don't know why they would have just started this week, but (laughs) Marcus Freeman talked about how the perimeter was a point of emphasis. And it clearly was. And I actually got a kick out of hearing him talk about Ben Morrison and how uh, he's like, man, there's weight classes here, man. And uh, he's like, you're not in the same weight class as a tight end at a Division One program. He's like you need to go low.
3: You need to go lower. <laughs> yeah, he's like he talked about how Morrison made the tackle in the yeah. first one. He's he walks over to the defensive coach. He's like, you need to tell Morrison he needs to probably go a little bit lower. I know he made the tackle, but you know he's great. gonna have this confidence and think he can go high. He's gonna get himself kind of run over if he does that again. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, no question about. it. And he almost did get run over uh, <laughs> later in the game. I think that was on fourth down, but. Or, or forced a fourth down. I forget which, but either way, uh, but yeah, you got to go low when you're when you're when you're young. And and Brian made a good point Saturday night, Sunday morning, that like that's a weight room game for Ben Morrison. It's oh, like, yeah. okay, off season. know what you need to do, need to get a little bit thicker and a little bit stronger. <laughs> but uh, but no, it was and, and you mentioned the gang tackling. I think that was the best that they've ever done with that right. all season. I mean, a corner would hold them up. And then almost immediately somebody would be there to clean it up. I mean, on the play that I just referenced where Ben got run over, but he held on. And then all of a sudden, J.D. was there a split second later to clean it up. And yeah, we don't even need to talk about J.D. Bertrand, what kind of game he had. But (laughs) I mean, the perimeter tackling was unbelievable. And... Clemson played right into it because they're like, we want to be on the perimeter. And Notre right. Dame's like, well, they just bring kept it on. doing it and doing
3: like, it and doing it <laughs> and
1: because they prevented the RPO part by playing good sound defense internally on right. the inside. So it forced the RPO out and Notre Dame was like, let's go bring it outside. Cause we got this and they did and they dominated it the whole way. And as far as the masking and, and we, you know, uh, we call it eye candy, right? So (laughs) there was a lot of eye candy offensively for Notre Dame. And the other thing, and Brian pointed this out very, very well, and upon further review, is that they were going against tendencies. The way they would line up, normally it would be very obvious what they were going to do and which way they were going to run. And in this game, they pretty much ran opposite almost every single time. And so you could see Clemson just crashing one side of the line of scrimmage, and Notre Dame's wrapping around and going the other way for like 20 yards. I mean, it, it was a clinic on self-scouting and going against your own tendencies. It, it was, it, it was fant- a fantastic job by Tommy Reese. I mean, he, he clearly put together a game plan that Clemson was not expecting. And Dabo Sweeney flat out said it in the post-game press conference. Somebody said, were you expecting this? They're like, uh, no, <laughs> we, we, we had no clue that this was coming and they shocked us. And then, of course, he gave credit to Notre Dame and all of that, which he should have. Uh, But he fell on the sword. He's like, we did not see this coming. We had a great week of practice, and we just got our butts kicked. Yeah, two weeks, exactly. (laughs) Can, Can we put to bed the whole narrative that everybody talks about when schedules come out and all this other stuff about everybody having an extra week of practice to prepare for Notre Dame?
3: Notre Dame wins all those games. Yeah, Notre Dame wins. Notre Dame, I wish, I might go back and, and track it, but I, I promise you, most teams, Notre Dame faces it three, four times a year, and obviously they've won, you know, 10 plus wins in X right. amount of seasons. And so, yeah, their their record against teams after the bye is, is you know, knock on wood, nothing to be uh, right. extremely worried about at this point. And people,
1: <laughs> people lose their minds. Oh, they got an extra week to prepare for Notre Dame doesn't matter <laughs> like it does not matter it, Clemson had an extra week and they got the doors blown off of them so right. yeah so anyway I, I I hope we can just put that narrative to bed because I've heard it in the preseason like the past two or three years and it's like guys it doesn't matter <laughs> doesn't matter so anyway so uh Anything else with the press conference besides MVPs? Because we're going to talk about that. Yeah, I
3: just think the best way to wrap up you know, the perimeter and short yardage and kind of what Freeman talked about. This this team made a choice. They made a choice that they were going to rally and play as a team, play physical. You know, make gang tackles, play with extraordinary effort. Offensively, the you know the offensive line blowing off the ball. You know, yeah. the the physicality and the dominance that they brought. It was just a choice, and that was the mentality that they kind of built all week was a choice and everyone you know it was evident that everyone bought into it and it's just a nice feeling to see because this is the most dominating game that we've seen Notre Dame play in a long time and it just kind of blows your socks off because it's like whoa where was this just a couple of weeks ago you know, <laughs> know why right? where but that's kind of what he talks about you know building off of this and and the success that it has to take you going forward so I think it's obviously we all hope it's a huge you know building block and That's that's what we hope is going to. But yeah, uh, it'd be nice to kind of go into the MVPs uh, of of the week. And Marcus Freeman broke it down uh, in his press conference. So we'll just kind of quickly go on to it. Offensively, he had Drew Pine. Defensively, he had Benjamin Morrison and then special teams were Botello and Prince Kali. So I'll start with you. Do you agree? What would yours be? And then we'll get into kind of what I'm feeling.
1: I think. You know, special teams-wise, I have no problem with those two guys. I mean, they were literally the guys that got Notre Dame on the board to start the game off. I mean, you got the block by Batelho. You got the catch by Kali, Returns it for a touchdown. They're up 7 to nothing, right? I don't have a problem with that. I think every week you could pick John Sott to be the MVP of the special teams. <laughs> I mean, he absolutely dominated the, uh, the field position game, right? I mean right. – Without John Sott, you know, Clemson doesn't have that long field almost every single time they got the ball. They're starting at the six. They're starting at the seven. They're starting at the five. I mean, it it was a clinic. It was a punting clinic, okay? So I think he could be the MVP every time, but in this particular game, I have no problem being Patelho and Kali. Defensively, there's no way you go with anybody else except for Ben Morrison. I don't care that he's a true freshman. That has nothing to do with it. I his performance was amazing for a true freshman. Yes, he did he played great, played out of his mind, but it was it was amazing for any corner. Okay, right, any corner whatsoever. As I mean, 96 touchdown. Those two things by themselves makes you the MVP. But then that doesn't even take into account how he was shedding blocks, making tackles. I mean, just sticking his nose in all, all game long. He was absolutely the MVP of the defense. So I have no problem with that. When I heard that Drew Pine <laughs> was the MVP of the offense, it definitely surprised me, okay? I right. thought it would go to offensive line. I thought it might go to Audrick Estime. I thought it could go to Logan Diggs. Any one of those would have been completely appropriate. I would have no problem with any of those. And then I took a step back and I thought about Drew Pine. And I thought about who Drew Pine is, right? He's an emotional leader. He kind of needs that momentum to kind of get going a little bit. And a little recognition thrown his way, I have no problem with. Because he needs, he needs that. Like, it's almost like he kind of needs the pat on the back at times. Or he needs to complete some passes or whatever to get himself going. He didn't turn the ball over. He had two huge runs in that game, right? The one for right. the first down, the touchdown. Those those were massive runs in that game. He had the touchdown pass to Michael Mayer. The Michael Mayer was daddy. pretty open. I get it, but that was still <laughs> the nail in the coffin for that game. I mean, not I didn't think Notre Dame was going to lose, but that was the absolute like it, this You're is done. over. I'm act, I Notre Dame is actually stepping on your throat for once which is fantastic. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, you know, for what they're asking him to do, they're asking him to manage the offense. They're asking him not to turn the ball over. And he did all of those things. I mean, got him in and out of the huddle quickly, you know, did all of those, you know, management type things. Drew Pine is Drew Pine, guys. Like, he's not going to have a Trevor Lawrence game. He's not going to have a Peyton Manning game. That's just not who he's going to be. Give him some praise for being Drew Pine. I mean, he was the quarterback of the team that beat the number 4 team in the country. So I have no problem with it. I really don't. I because every other those those other guys we talked about will all have opportunities to be MVPs during another game. You know what I mean? The run game still going to be really really good. The offensive line is still going to be really really good. I I I kind of talked myself into it after I was a little surprised. How about you? What say you on all three of those?
3: What say you? I so we'll start uh, defensively because that's obviously the the most obvious in my opinion. Yeah. Uh Benjamin Morris with with his perimeter tackling, uh the, the 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 defensive balls downfield, they kept taking deep shots at him. That wasn't working. Um hmm. the interceptions. So, you, you know, when you get two interceptions in a game, that's let alone going to get it for you. But when like I said, when you when you, when you sprinkle in the perimeter tackling when you sprinkle in the continuous shots that came his way downfield, he shut down literally everything uh, that came at him. He took over him and Bertrand kind of took over the two different levels of defense. uh, I would say, and, and, and more so Morrison, obviously. So obviously I'm, I'm good with that one Uh, special teams. I like Botello because he blocked it. I'm kind of with you with, uh, with Kali. I think he got maybe that, that thrown to him for a confidence booster. You know, we're seeing him play a lot more, Uh, The success on special teams. I feel like that goes a long way with the young guy and his kind of confidence. So I like that one, but I would have gave it even more so uh, to Stott in this game. You talked about it. I felt like him pinning down Clemson on their six, their seven, their 13. When Notre Dame's playing dominant defense, that's another form of suffocation. You know, you can't even even get past your 20-yard line when things are going bad. It just makes it seem that much more daunting. When you're you know you're in the huddle, you're looking down the field, and it's like 90 more yards to go. When you already have no production, so uh, I, I'm okay uh, with Kali, but I I would have thrown Stott in there, I guess, if I could. And then offensively, I, I'm like you initially when I saw Pine, I was like, "There's no way." What are you talking about? You know, the <laughs> offensive line, Estime and Diggs had basically identical numbers, carries, yeah. you know, all those things. And then Friedman started to talk about Drew Pine and you know the things that he did really well and some of the you know most of the things that you mentioned the execution of the offense the breaking of the huddle the you know their quick plays sometimes where they were trying to get a step on Clemson or yeah. you know the 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 wrinkles the the motions and another you know some other few things that he went into they they had one three and out he liked the way that Pine extended mm. drives Good the point. way you know it, it didn't matter in in, in this game. He knew he was going to punt. So he 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 liked the fact that Pine wasn't going through and out. You're still extending that clock. You're extending drives, uh, that kind of situation. Another thing that he brought up, zero pre-snap penalties, you know, no false starts, no illegal formations, uh, anything like that. And I thought those were things that we kind of, you know, potentially overlooked. And then, yeah, the touchdowns you brought up, the one where he kept it on the RPO and the goal line after they've just run the ball, what seemed to be eight to 10 kind of times in a row. And he punched it in and that works because they kept giving it, giving it. And then he finally pulled it. And that's the perfect time. Cause they haven't shown that they bring it out in the red zone and he gets in there for the touchdown to huge touchdown to go up a score right before, you know, two scores uh, to go up before halftime. And then honestly, or so uh, again on the, the mayor touchdown, pulling out the RPO after run after run, and then yeah. just throwing the dart oh, right sure. to mayor. So I, I talked myself into it, too. He did a lot of it. <laughs> right. it. It was a very well, you know, quarterbacked game. I know it's not sexy. I know there's not a lot of passing yards, but that's what he wasn't asked to do. And he executed what he was yeah. asked to do at a very efficient manner. And I think the best comparison I thought of is like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo watching kind of his games last year and the 49ers, their deep run. It was He wasn't making big plays, but they were dominating on the offensive line. They had a good defense. Yeah. Uh, you know, they ran the game and then hit kind of the small passes that came off of it, and that's what they did. So you you're right. I think he does need that kind of confidence bone thrown to him with the these last three games. You want to keep the momentum going. So I'm okay with Pine too. I thought it was a really good choice, actually.
1: I mean, you know, he had a 114.4 rating, it was nine of 17 for 85 yards, <laughs> one touchdown. It's a 53% completion percentage, right? DJ Uyangalole was 27 to 39. So obviously they threw the ball a boatload more uh, because they were kept going out to those bubbles and he only had 191 yards. He did have a touchdown in garbage time. He had an interception. Obviously it was returned to the house, he, 69% completion percentage. And he had a lower QB rating than Drew Pine. He yeah. 113. Now pretty close, but still less. Right. And sometimes that's all you need to be you just need to be and I wouldn't say that Drew Pine was efficient but he got the job done when he needed to get the job done like
3: the big place
1: yes like that throw that he made to Jaden Thomas when he was rolling out
3: oh that was a dart on the sideline. I I meant to bring that up in the post game show he that might be one of his actual best throws this season because he was rolling out he had pressure in his face he was tangling the sideline and he threw a dart to Thomas And there was no one else that's catching that ball. Like, it
1: was was his guy or no guy. And it was a perfect throw. I mean, it was an absolute perfect throw as he's rolling out. And I know people have said this a million times, and I'm starting to agree with you because of some of the batted balls and some things like that. Get this boy outside the pocket, man. Like Sprint outs. He's not Ian Book when it comes to running the football. He's not that (laughs) athletic. Granted. But he can get yards when he needs to. And he's not going to duck out of bounds like some people he's going to do what it takes to get the yards that he needs to get. I, I have no, not roll him out, move the pocket, get him outside so that you're not getting as many balls batted down. And I know it's different. You can't really do RPOs that way. You kind of have to stay in the pocket to do RPOs. Uh, and he's really good at the RPO game. It's just, you've got to do some other things maybe to get him going from a passing standpoint, but then you also have to remember wind in that game. And it was, right. it's it's hard to fathom if you weren't actually there. Okay? You guys went up there. We went out to watch the beginning of the game, and I realized the ninth floor is different than on the playing field. I get that completely. <laughs> but I almost got knocked over to be honest with you. And I am not a small dude as far as width is concerned. Okay. <laughs> I almost got knocked over. The wind gusts were so bad. And if you watch the TV copy, if you're paying attention and you look at the referee's pants that are on the field when you know, as the game is going on, those suckers are, are like flapping, (laughs) right? You can't throw the ball terribly effectively in that kind of wind. And so they didn't, they didn't need to. Right. And so he played the game that he was asked to play and he did a good job of it. So I have no problem with him being the player of the game on the offensive side and the coaches know even better than we do what was being asked of him in that game right and if they feel like he deserved it then fantastic
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app
3: You know, Keith brings up a good point here in the chat about the batted balls, and Freeman did kind of touch on that, and that's something that he's continuously working through, and it's something that is kind of frustrating, you know, the seeing, and that would help with the batted balls, is getting him kind of moved around, like you were talking about, and I I like, I like overall just you know him being able to do. He's not going to be a guy who's a primary threat with his legs, but when you run the ball like Notre Dame, and he can pull it out and make those two to three big runs a game, and when especially in the red zone when it's touchdowns, hey that's that's ways to get touchdowns and manufacture and touchdowns are touchdowns so I'll take them any way they come if it comes from eight passes 50 passes two passes I'll take whatever it takes to get the touchdowns (laughs)
1: 100 and I and I will say that that touchdown that he ran on the zone read he now gave the next three teams on the on the schedule he gave them film of Drew Pine, he might keep the ball. And yeah, you got to respect
3: it. it. Gotta you respect know what else it. that helps is their power game right up the middle because Bingo. that's an extra guy that's got to take it maybe a half a step late because he's got to respect Pine exactly. out there. And that's that's great. That's another layer, that we a wrinkle that we've kind of been talking yep. about. So I'm all for it. You got to respect it.
1: I mean, when that play happened in real life time, I'm watching Chris Tyree And I'm like, what is he doing? He stopped. Why is he stopping? (laughs) And then I realized that Drew Pine's running in for a touchdown. So it is, again, like you said, it's another wrinkle. It's another thing to put on film and it's fantastic. And the next three teams that they play have defenses that are not great. And if you give them more to think about even better. (laughs) So I have no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, I think it's fantastic. So uh, so, yeah, MVPs, I think we're on board. Uh, the final thing, we got a little bit of breaking news, actually, right before the show started. Do, 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 do. I know, right? <laughs> Joe Wilkins.
3: Here is Vince to report. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Joe Wilkins has decided to enter the transfer portal, and Joe will get his degree from Notre Dame, and I always find that to be one of the best parts when guys end up transferring later on in their career. They're walking away with a degree from Notre Dame, which is awesome, uh, which he will be able to do. He's obviously going to be able to use this season to play again uh, because he hasn't played a whole lot. He definitely played less than four games. So he's going to have one more year of eligibility remaining and he's going to transfer and use that year of eligibility someplace else. Your thoughts when you first heard that news, Jess?
3: Um, I think the biggest thought I had is, you know, Joe Wilkins' productivity. The, that speaks for itself you know over his sure. career he has 11 receptions 124 yards two touchdowns his most memorable was last year against i believe Florida State uh from a ball that cone through him but you know it's just i'm I'm happy for him as a person and kind of sure. a player because you need a different landscape sometimes and obviously yeah. Notre Dame kind of wasn't what was working for him he had the knee injury last year You know, this is obviously an offense now that is predicated around power run and Michael Mayer being their primary target. Um, And so those things uh, play into it. And so, like I said, I'm happy for him that he's potentially going to find a different avenue or opportunity that is better for him. And he has a degree from Notre Dame, which is always beneficial. And that should be that, you know, that's the number one emphasis, like 1% of guys in college go and play in the NFL. And so having the college education is a very big factor. Um, in terms of the depth chart, you know, that's kind of the biggest thing that it impacts for Notre Dame right now is it's already kind of a, I would say, you know, a, 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 it's a weakness on the team. They don't have a lot of depth at the position. And so when you're losing bodies, that's just overall uh, never a good thing. Sure. Um, but like I said, I think, is it is it detrimental to Notre Dame's everyday? Like, are, are they going to now be at a mi- major, you know, loss? No, but you never want to see someone leave. Uh but again, Plus like the I middle said, of the season. Yeah, middle of the season. But happy for Joe. And I hope that he, like I said, finds a better opportunity uh for himself and gets kind of more playing time and maybe you know the potential to kind of showcase his talent.
1: I echo everything you said about him as a person and getting his degree and all of that. It goes without saying. I, I completely agree with all of that. From a football standpoint, I almost feel like the room has been rejuvenated over the last week and a half because now you're seeing Dion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather getting a bunch of snaps that right. they weren't getting
3: before. <laughs> That's a good point. That I also <laughs> his snap count is also probably dwindling <laughs> as these younger guys are yeah. getting acclimated. <laughs> right. I mean,
1: Matt Salerno zero snaps on Saturday night. Right, and I'm sure that made a lot of people happy. Right. uh Lorenzo Styles had 11 snaps on Saturday night. Colsey and Merriweather had the vast majority of the snaps followed by Brayden Lindsey, you know? And so right now you're looking at Lorenzo Styles being the first man off the bench. And the way he's been playing, I think that's appropriate. And, And obviously you are using 12 personnel, 13 personnel. You're getting your tight ends involved. You're doing some different stuff. So they got three games left. I don't think the depth at wide receiver that we were all so worried about going into the season has affected them yet. Right. But losing one doesn't help. Uh, and, And so, you know, God forbid there's another injury or something along those lines. Obviously you already lost Avery Davis to an injury. You're losing Joe Wilkins to the portal. That's two guys from a room that you really didn't have a whole lot of guys in the room in the first place. And so that obviously is scary. I'm happy that it's the tail end of the season. They've got like I said they've got 3 games left. They're not really throwing to the wide receivers a whole lot and so you know depth has not been a huge issue. Uh, and they're going to get they're going to get some serious reinforcements from this recruiting class too. So this room's going to still be young, but they're going to get like I said I I wouldn't be surprised if they went to the portal, and got one guy. They're going to get a great freshman class coming in that's not even complete yet. And so the room is going to be just fine. You just got to get through these three games, uh, four games. If you can count the bowl game, obviously I think they will be okay. <laughs> I think they will be okay. Cause Joe Wilkins obviously hasn't really been a part of the rotation this season. So you're pulling somebody out that really wasn't in to begin with. Uh, but if there was an injury, he would have been in, you know? So it's like, okay, we're good now. Well, hopefully right. can get <laughs> through it. You know, that kind of a thing. So happy for him he obviously made this decision the best decision for him which is awesome i hope he finds a nice landing spot and he gets an opportunity to to play and, and be who he thinks he can be and that that's the most important thing yeah exactly all right jess let's see here the title of our show which we haven't even really gotten to uh and we should probably jump into it before we get to rapid fire oh is, yeah. you know did notre dame end the clemson dynasty is this was that the the kind of the culminate not the culmination but kind of an exclamation point on kind of who clemson is right now where they're headed in the future you know what does this say about the clemson tigers and where they're at
3: you know i i the immediate reaction is obviously you want to look at it, it and be you want to be like yes notre dame is in the clemson right and 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 that's kind of like it brings more emphasis to how big of a win it is. And so I looked at it as kind of what Clemson has at the remaining of the season and then kind of going forward to, you know, what they need to kind of address uh, if they don't want that to happen and kind of the immediate needs uh, that they that they have. You know, this is this is Clemson's first loss and they have Louisville, Miami and South Carolina to to end their schedule. So that's not going to be overly challenging for them. We'll see them. In the ACC championship, probably against North Carolina, who has Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, and North Carolina State left. Those are probably going to be your ACC matchup, and so you win that game, and they're probably going to end up in a new year, new year six bowl game at that point. You know, potentially even a playoff spot. You never know. You know, the one loss, you don't yeah, know who could potentially one end loss with two conference losses. champion,
1: right? I mean, right.
3: You have one bad, bad blemish. I mean, Notre Dame's made that argument before, and they don't even have a conference championship either. So. You know, Clemson's gonna be in the thick of it as long as they take care of their business at the end of the season. Um, and so I think I need to see them respond now. Like you can't have any mistakes, you know, going forward in these last three games. You have to stay on schedule for what you're trying to, you know, accomplish for the for the rest of the year. And then bigger picture, I looked at, you know, DJ is not the answer at no. quarterback for them. And you know, I Trevor Lawrence was really good that was seen by you know him being drafted and all the records he set and heisman and all that kind of stuff so obviously anything that comes after that is not going to be as good and, and then it, the question then becomes is klubnik the answer and poor guy got thrown out there <laughs> this past week and gets you know gets blitzed and, and throws the interception and then he gets the yank like it's Like it's his fault or something like that. It felt bad. That was just Davos brain scrambling on the sideline because he had no idea uh, what was going on um, himself. So I think there's just a lot of things that have to kind of unwind for me to make a definitive answer about, you know, the end of Clemson's dynasty. But for right now, it's definitely on a regression. They've hit their peak. You know, their peak was Trevor Lawrence, Tyler Boyd, ETN the very good defensive players that they had, you know, I can't name them all by name, but I know they've had very good defensive sure. players, defensive linemen, linebackers that are now playing in the NFL. Um, and they, they hit their peak and it's so hard to have that continued success. Like we've seen from Bama for so long, or, you know, Clemson did it for so long in the, or the you know, from 2012, 2016, 2017, 2018 area. And so to come down off of that now, I definitely see think we are on the backside or the backslope of Clemson's uh, you know, run here And if they don't get some of the things that I mentioned kind of addressed, they're going to have bigger issues going forward and kind of continuing that great amount of success that we saw in the, like the Trevor Lawrence era.
1: They don't have the game changing quarterback. I I think Cade Clubnick can be good. I think he can be a very good quarterback. He's look, Trevor Lawrence is a, a generational quarterback, but the problem is they had two generational quarterbacks in a row in Watson, <laughs> right. and, and
3: <laughs> Sorry, know, Trevor I even...
1: Lawrence. And so I, I, it worries me that – I shouldn't say it worries me. That was a very – oh, how do I want to put this? Beneficial situation for Clemson because they had a stud quarterback, two in a row, that elevated their offenses and allowed them to do things that – Normal teams aren't going to be able to do. And they elevated the people around them. It elevated the offensive line because Clemson has never had an amazing offensive line. And now all of a sudden now it's coming to roost because they don't have a great quarterback behind that offensive line to, and and it's becoming obvious that the offensive line isn't fantastic. Right. And so they're coming back to the pack. I mean, Clemson is coming back to the pack. They're still not recruiting the offensive line. Fantastic. The wide receivers, we talked about this going into the game. The wide receivers themselves have, you know, they were a decent group. They've got some youth. They've got some talent in that youth, but they don't have that alpha wide receiver. When in the past, they had a couple of alphas at the same time. And when you have a couple of alphas at the same time, then you can do a lot of things offensively because you add those couple of alpha wide receivers along with a generational quarterback and all of a sudden your offense is amazing and then you add Travis Etienne in there as well and you've got an offense that's going to outscore anybody and they just don't have that right now they got a pretty darn good defense but you can't put everything on the defense if the offense can't score points and that's it's just trending in that direction and so without the skill players that they've had in the past now you're talking about The you're talking about the offensive line that is starting to show that they're not the best. And so it's kind of a steady decline. And the bottom line is Clemson can't score points right now. And if you can't score points, you're not going to win the big games. You're (laughs) still going to be able to be an upper echelon ACC team, an upper echelon team in any conference, but they're not going to be amongst the elite because they can't score a bunch of points. And so I I think they're coming back to the pack and Notre Dame kind of showed that in a very demonstrative way Saturday night. Uh, But the bottom line is they're probably still going to win out and have an opportunity at the college football playoff. I worry about them playing an elite team in the final four though. I I think that could be, that could be rough.
3: If that's what Notre Dame did and it's on tape like that. I think the biggest issue with DJ and the Clemson's offense right now is DJ doesn't pose any threat downfield and they don't have any wide receivers to extend the field. Uh, You know, Trevor Lawrence had that cannon of an arm. Uh, If you shut down their run game and the RPO game, like Notre Dame did, they can't really do anything. Notre Dame was baiting DJ, please throw the ball downfield. Please take a chance. But Dabo doesn't obviously trust him. He doesn't trust him with the turnovers throwing interceptions. That's what got pulled him out in the Syracuse game and why Klubnik came in. Is Dabo just simply said we can't have you turn the ball over, and that seemed like to me what what his restriction was of letting DJ loose against Notre Dame is he just kept running into those small screen plays and the run game shutting down, and it's like okay, Dabo, well, why, just cut him loose, like you can't yeah. keep doing it over and over, but that just shows his you know his his weakness and kind of where Clemson is at um, offensively right now. And sure, you know they'll probably have a big game against you know whoever and put up some stats, and DJ will look better. But when you're going against elite defenses and good teams, like we're talking about, you know, Notre Dame has a good defense. I'm not saying they're like the greatest defense, but obviously, sure. you know, they they played a very good defensive game and and showed what it takes to beat Clemson. And so I think if you run into stuff like that, they're going to have issues. Um, and so I just don't think that they're, they are where they used to be. Um, and they're steadily kind of declining and heading, heading back to the pack. But it looks like we've created some conversation already about you know, mm. if this happens, if this happens, who could be in the playoffs? And it's it's always fun. That's kind of like the best part, in my opinion, because you never know what's going to happen. Absolutely,
1: And when there's going to be chaos, there, there's always chaos at the top, and, and it, it affects everything, right? And that's why we do the show on Tuesday nights as well at 7 – tomorrow, by the way, 7.30. We're going to have the college <laughs> football playoff uh, reveal show because I believe ESPN is going to have their show at 7. So nice. we are going to come on at 7.30. And we are going to start talking about the top 25. So that should be a lot of fun. And, of course, you better tune in to IB Nation Sports Talk with Sean and Jesse tomorrow at 6. And it will lead right in to our show at 7.30 with Brian and myself. And who knows? Maybe there will be a special guest. Maybe Jesse will come by. Maybe Sean will come by. Maybe Ryan will come by. You never know. You never know. I know. Here's what I can tell you for a fact. I know Jesse's going to show up on one of these college football playoff type shows because he's an analytics guy. And this, these shows that we do on Tuesday nights, it's all about numbers who played, who, what is your strength of schedule? What's your strength of record? What's your, you know, game control number. What all of this stuff. I, I, I could just see the numbers computing in your head, man. Just it's saying, fun.
3: Just I, I have, I have stuff queued up. I, I have a lot of Big Ten friends, right? I, I Unfortunately, oh, I've lived in Ohio. I've lived in Michigan. Yeah. I've developed, you know, some friends with with of those schools. And, and we've gotten into some arguments. And I, I made a note in my phone and put down Michigan's schedule. Their combined schedule after nine weeks is 38 and 45. I mean, come on. Ohio State's 40 and 41. Notre Dame's 51 and 29. Like, that's a huge <laughs> difference. And, you know, it's like, come on, like, you can't talk to me when your best win is like Maryland's, you know, like I, I just I get it. But it's yeah. So like that plays into my mind. I'm always thinking about those kind of things, strength of schedule, all the different, you know, like you were talking about control rate earlier, dominance. Yep. That, those things are all factored in. But yeah, definitely tune in tomorrow for this is <laughs> round two, part two. Right. Yeah. of Your guys's week you know, this is because it's only the second one. So, you know, will be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where Notre Dame ends up and all that fun stuff.